know, Doug, over the last year or so, I'm not sure exactly how long it is, but um, he is an author, but he has an amazing gift of, of kind of weaving thousands of years of history into what God is doing today in the land of Israel. And he's got several books, and one of his books, Israel Rising, it's, it's incredible if you, haven't, if you don't have it or if you haven't seen it before. He's got some of them, but it's got pictures of all over Israel and places that I know very well and what they were like maybe even 100 years ago and then what they are today. Places in Tel Aviv, not necessarily a hunt. Well, you actually, there's some pictures there from the very, very early days of Tel Aviv, which is just, a, just about 100 years old, really. And now you go to that place, and there's very little reason. But you can still see that. And he's got an eye, not just for the things of artistic eye, but he's got an eye for what God is doing today in the world. So I want to invite Doug up here. I want to pray over him. He's come all the way from Maine. He left in a snowstorm. His flight was canceled from where, Portland? From Portland, Maine. Not Portland, Oregon. Portland, Maine. Had to take a bus to Boston. Huh? The first Portland, yeah. Had to take a bus to, to Boston, okay, which is a couple hours at least, right? Then flew out of there, flew into a snowstorm here, and went last night to Roa Israel. He's here this morning, so nobody has any excuse for missing anything, right? <laughs> but we're just glad to have Doug with us this morning. Doug Hershey, and so I just want to pray over him. Father, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for just um, the giftings in him. And Lord, and I pray that the anointing upon him, Lord, that would be to encourage us in your word, to show us the things. And Lord, to, to encourage us of the things that you're getting ready to do. I don't know what he's going to be sharing, but Lord, the things that you're getting ready to do. Lord, and everything even in the parsha is it's, it's, there's a forward-looking um, uh, fulfillment to everything that you do. So Lord, I we bless him. We thank you for bringing him here safely. And Lord, just uh, give him the words that you have for us. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everybody. It's good to be back. I felt like I was just here not too long ago. And here I am again. And you know, it was actually kind of funny because when, uh, when Millie and I were talking um, several months ago, I guess, and you were like, you're, you're on the calendar for February to come again. And I'm like, mm, nope, sure, sure I'm not. <laughs> but uh, apparently I am. So, um, you what? I was what? Your birthday wish? <laughs> Perfect. Well, happy birthday. Here I am. So, uh, I, as I've mentioned before, when I've taught here before, I, I'm a bit of a Bible realist. The more I am in Israel, the more things become very tangible and very alive for me. And that really started on one of my, on my very first trip to Israel. One of the most dramatic uh, experiences I had on my first trip was standing on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And... Uh, it was sort of a hustle and bustle up there, and I, I had a, a little moment to myself. And what struck me wasn't the city or the or the, the teachings or whatever. is these white puffy clouds that were just rolling over Jerusalem. And I thought, wow, those white puffy clouds look a whole lot like the white puffy clouds that roll over my house back home. And suddenly it was like, like something just clicked in my head. It's like, whoa, this is like a real place. And this is like real people in a real city and real problems and real issues. 
and real prophetic bloodline of an actual people that I've been reading about as a child. And the whole thing became very real and very tangible. And a little of what I'll be teaching today um, is a sort of a, a, a glimpse into me because I'm very much of a hands-on kind of guy. And when I began putting together a few, a few weeks ago, really, when we I realized this was going to be the weekend I was going to be here and I was looking at the Torah portion, I got excited because what I'm going to be sharing with you is sort of uh, become sort of a, a, a life goal, a life message of something that I want to, to keep, in, uh, keep in front of myself moving forward. But in Exodus 14, and we actually read this very portion this morning, Moses says to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll never see again, and the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And we go, yes, that is amazing. That's exactly what we want. And we see lots of Facebook posts on it. But the very next verse the Lord says to Moses, what are you crying to me for? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. So Moses says to the people, hey, everybody, stand still, don't do anything, and God's going to do it. And God says to Moses, what are you crying to me for? Move forward. In other words, what Moses is telling the people is exactly opposite of what God's wanting them to do. Isn't that strange? It's almost like the same thing that happens in Mark, and Mark... Verse uh, chapter 4, they're out on the Galilee, storm brews up, teacher, you don't care if we're about to die, and he gets up and rebukes the wind, and the seas hush, be still, and the winds die down and becomes perfectly calm, and he turned to them and said, why are you afraid, and why do you have no faith? Okay, in both of those situations, let's think about that. Okay, I, something went wrong. We're up against the, the, the Red Sea. We're about to die. We're crying out to God to save us, he st and he says... What are you crying to me for? And he rebukes them in a way. It's like, what? Okay, fine. You think you're going to die? Fine. Why don't you have any faith? Well, that almost seems really cold of the Lord, doesn't it? But there's things in here that we're missing. And I want to encourage you with it in that you are far more powerful than what we realize. And so what I want to share with you this morning is about authority and about what God has already placed within you. And if you were with me the last time we were at... Um, and at Larry's, I taught a little bit on this. I'm going to kind of expand it out a little bit more. But there's three things. We're going to talk about authority this morning, what you were created for, the tools that God has given you, and the ability to walk those things out. Because God has already given you all of those things. And so, really, the best place to begin is the beginning, Genesis 1.1. We learn a tremendous amount about the heart of the God, of the, of the heart of the God we serve and what his character is like in the very first verse of the Bible. Now, this morning, because of how we read things, I, I, I probably don't even need to explain this in this group, I want you to think more in sort of a, a, a Hebrew way of thinking as opposed to Greek. A Hebrew way of thinking is, is one of... Um, of describing things through the five senses. The, the Hebrew thought is more of, uh, of what is its function, what is its purpose, and the Greek way of thinking is more of sort of these abstract images or something that, that it's appearance. So if we think about like, um, like a pencil, a Greek mind would describe a pencil like, okay, well, it's yellow, it's long, uh, it's got this little number two on it, and it's pointy, 
and uh, might have an eraser on the end. That's how a Greek mind would describe a pencil. And a Hebrew mind would describe the pencil as uh, I can hold it in my hand and it's something I write with. It's two very different, you're describing the same thing, but one is describing an appearance, one is describing functions. And so we read that, and especially in terms of Genesis 1, we think about that in terms of a creation account, and we think of it in terms of, I wonder what it looked like, and I wonder how God did that, and I wonder what, you know, how, is it really a day, or how did that all function, how, how did, what, like, what did that look like? And Romans 1 says that from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and his divine nature can be clearly seen, being understood through what was made, so we were without excuse. So Romans is telling us we should be reading Genesis, we should be reading the creation account, not looking at, I wonder if it was five days or six days or seven, and if it's an actual 24-hour time period. We're thinking like a Greek thought, the, the Bible is describing it in Hebrew thought, what is its function, what is its purpose, God is, is clearly putting his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature in that. So when we're reading Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to look at some of those to kind of get to follow our our, our journey, because this this aspect of authority is is a pattern that you see all the way through the scriptures. So in the beginning... God, is, and as the, uh, the word, and many of you are familiar with this, is Elohim. It is a plural word, Elohim. The im the sound, for many of you who are taking the, the, the Hebrew lessons, it's im. So it could be translated, in the beginning, gods. It's plural. The singular form is El, and we find that other places in the scriptures. Now, what's really fascinating about that is I would suggest to you that this, but the, the word Elohim in Hebrew is not describing a deity. It's not describing someone who is up in the heavens, who is pure and righteous and powerful. It's, it's, you're thinking of it in a way of, of, of Greek thought. A Hebrew thought is what is its functions, what do they do? And we have the, the exact same word, Elohim, in Genesis 35, verse 2. So Jacob says to his household and all who are with him, put away your foreign gods, Elohim. Put away your foreign Elohim. It's the exact same word in Hebrew. So Put away your foreign gods which are among you, purify yourselves, change your garments, and let us go up to Bethel and make an altar there to God, El. So you have El and Elohim, the singular and the, and the plural form of, of what we describe, what Genesis 1-1 describes as God, being used both in a negative sense, foreign gods, and a positive sense, El. We're not talking about a deity, we're talking about function. And so the word El, and stay with me here, but the, the, the word El other places in Scripture refers to things with power and might. Do not withhold something, do not withhold good from those whom, who it is due when it is in your power to do it. The power when it is in your El to do it. So the word El that's often translated as God in Proverbs is also translated as power as in something I can demonstrate. Is everybody with me? I want you to, and this will all kind of fit together here in a, in a, in a moment. Psalm 89, verse 6, who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? Sons of El, mighty, is like the Lord. Again, talking to men, talking to people, but referring to men as having El, power, might, authority. 
So when we go back and we're looking at Genesis 1-1, it could be a, a very literal mechanical translation would be in the beginning the ones with great power and authority we're not talking about deity we're talking about about the function of who this creator is the second word in the beginning god created it's some, i'm going to suggest to you the word created here is a, it's a hebrew word bara and it does not mean to make something out of nothing Bara is used a couple other places in Scripture. 1 Samuel 2.29 says, Why do you, talking to Eli the priest, why do you kick at my sacrifices and, offering, and my offering, which I commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me, making yourself fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel? That phrase, making yourself fat, is bara, the same word as in the beginning God created. Exact same Hebrew word in English, it's translated created. In English, it's translated as making yourself fat. 2 Samuel 20, uh, 12, 17, the elders, talking about David, the elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground as he was unwilling, and he would not eat food with them. Would not eat food is this Hebrew word bara. So without making this confusing, what God is saying here from, from the, the Hebrew word bara is taken from a word bar, which means grain. Again, I'm teaching you as a Hebrew. It's taken bar. When, when Joseph is storing up grain in Egypt, it's the Hebrew word bar. If it, and that's, that's the root. And so any root word will have its meaning placed in any type of word that that root word you know, and any type of word in, in Hebrew has the meaning of the root word in it. So you have bar, which means grain, and you have bara, which means really to, to make yourself fat or, or, or to eat or to create. And so it really carries this aspect of filling. Because in ancient Hebrew, how you would fatten a calf is you'd give it grain, and it would be fattened. You would give it bar, so it would become bara. How you are eating bread, it's made from grain, and you know, making yourself fat with the choices of offerings, it's, it's this process of filling. I say all of that to say, the very first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, the ones with great power and authority filled the heavens and the earth. The very first thing we learn about the Creator from the very first thing in the, in the Bible, he has power and authority and he likes to fill things. Is everybody with me? Why are you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why are you to be you know, bringing life and filling things? It's, it's part of the nature of who you are. Because in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, Let them, let's make man in our own image according to our likeness. This is not talking about ten fingers and ten toes. This is this, the, let's make him as our function. Let's make it look just like us. What do we know about Elohim? He is one with great power and authority, and he likes to fill things. Why don't we make man just like that? Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God is one with great power and authority. He likes to fill things and he gives that. He creates us. He fills us with his own image to do the exact same thing. 
So while I understand why well, we like to say that you were created to love and you were created to, uh, to worship or created to whatever the other things we say, according to your Bible, and I'm not disregarding those things, but according to your Bible, you were intended to rule. You were made as one with power and authority that has the ability to fill things. From Genesis 1.1, that is who you are. So later when Yeshua is teaching in John 10, verse 34, and Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your Torah? I said, you are all gods. And if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scriptures cannot be broken, why do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said, I'm the son of gods. Here you have Yeshua teaching men, hey, doesn't the scriptures, doesn't your own scriptures say that you're all gods? Well, that's kind of new agey of Yeshua, isn't it? It's actually Hebrew. He's not saying you're all deities. He's saying you're all ones that are created. Why, why are you saying, why is this even a problem for you that I'm saying that I'm, I am the son of God? I'm the son, with, I'm the son of God of, of who I am. Why do you think that's blaspheming? Doesn't the scripture say that you are all ones with great power and authority? Why is this a problem? So he's teaching them like a rabbi. He's teaching them from the scriptures. He's teaching them the, really the, some of the meanings of their own words. God's original intention with man was for dominion and for great power and authority. That is what you were made in. So when, when the issue of the fall comes, what you've really done, what Adam and Eve really did, and what we've all done is we gave our authority away. Gave it to somebody else. Gave it to the enemy. So Moses says to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you'll never see them again forever. And the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, talking to Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel will go through the midst of the sea on dry land. But as for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. Who's, who's dividing the sea? Moses. God's telling Moses, Take your staff, take your, your hand, and divide the sea. Now, that's really fascinating to me because if we look back in Exodus 4, Moses is complaining at the, burden, the, the burning bush. How is this going to make any sense? How is anybody going to know? What if, uh, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? How will people know that you actually sent me? What if they don't believe anything? And Moses uh, the Lord says, or, or what if they say the Lord has not appeared to you? Now you remember what the two things that Moses says, or God tells Moses? Take your hand, put it into your cloak, you pull it out, it becomes leprous. Put it back in, it becomes clean again. Your hand is a sign that I have sent you. The second is take your staff, throw it on the ground, it becomes a snake. You pick it up again, it becomes a staff again, these are the signs, your hand and your staff. This is what I've already given you so that when you get in the situation where people go, As, is this really the Lord? Has the Lord really spoken? These are the two demonstrations that I've already given you to walk in my authority to do what I've already called you to do. So Moses, this is what I want you to do. 
As for you, you lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. What are you crying to me for? I already gave you. We already had this conversation at the burning bush. I gave you what you need. I, gave you, I showed the demonstration with your hand. I gave you the staff. This is the demonstration that I, for, for you and for the people to know that I have called you to do this. So why don't you just use the authority that I've given you and divide the sea? That's what's being said right here. But as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of Pharaoh so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and through his horsemen. God will find more honor when Moses divides the sea. So let, let me ask a very rhetorical question. When does God get more glory? When God is being God and he just does whatever he does and he divides the sea or that God gives you the supernatural ability to do it and people go, okay, normally Moses should not be able to divide the sea. There's some way, something is different about that. Oh, God's the one that gave you the authority? Wow, God gave authority to man to do that. When does God get more glory? God can do whatever he wants to do because he's God, but when he gets the most glory is when you do things with him and on his behalf because he's already given you the authority and the power and the anointing to do so. So what are you crying to me for? Master, we're about to die. We're in this boat. We're going to drown. Hush, be still. Hey, do you guys not have any faith? Haven't you guys been walking with me already? Haven't I already given you the power and authority to cast out demons and do all this? What do you, do you still not believe? Psalm 115, verse 16 says, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he's given to the hands of the sons of men. The heavens are the Lord's, but God has given the earth to us. It's Genesis 1-1, giving you dominion and authority to rule and reign over the earth. So I would suggest to you when we look around and we go, wow, this world is going downhill, who has allowed it to go downhill? According to the scriptures, that's not God's problem, that's ours. He, he gave the authority to us. January 20th, 2013, there was an article written uh, by a study by an organization called Oxfam. It says the world's 100 richest people earned a stunning total of $240 billion in 2012. That's enough money to end extreme world poverty worldwide four times over. Oxfam has revealed adding that the global economic crisis is further enriching the super rich, et cetera, et cetera. A secular study, let me say it a different way, a secular study in 2012 says that the 100 richest people in the world in one year earned enough to end extreme poverty worldwide four times over. Let's, say, let's pretend that they all made the same amount of money in 2000, which they didn't, in 2012. That means 25 people, which is about how many people we have in this room, could end their, the ability to end extreme poverty by 25 people exists right now on earth. This year, it could be done. It's not an issue of, you know, could it be done? Is there enough resources? Is there enough food? Of course there is. Who's in charge? We're in charge. 
The reason we have poverty is because we allow it. Because the resources are there. Now that goes a whole different conversation in a whole different way. But the fact is, is that God has given us the authority to change these things. And the secular world is recognizing it, even before perhaps we are. 1 Samuel 3. This goes on and on all through the scriptures. 1 Samuel 3, 19 and 20. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. None of whose words? Samuel's. It almost gives the impression that Moses, or sorry, Samuel is, is stepping out as a prophet. He's doing what he thinks is right, and God says, I'll back that up. He let none of his words fail. He wasn't waiting. And I mean, it's clearly there was where, where God was speaking to him and telling him to do things. But there were times when Samuel said, I know what needs to be done. I'm doing it. And God said, I'll back that up. He let none of his words fail. And all, of his, all of Israel from Dan to even Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. Walking in his authority. Matthew 9, 5 to 8. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Jesus is hanging out with some people, bends down to this guy and says, hey, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees who were there start freaking out and go, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? He has, you think he can, he can do that? Well, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up, and he went home. And the crowd saw this, and they were all struck. And they glorified God because somebody got healed. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. It says they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Authority. What if, what if the Pharisees weren't there and they weren't even complaining? Would the guy have been healed? This was not a demonstration of healing. This is a demonstration of authority. God gets more glory when his authority is demonstrated through you. Rather than us praying and say, God, would you step in and fix something? Could you, could you fix this? Could you heal that person? Could you? Now, this is a whole different conversation, but I'm saying that ability and that authority is there. This is what you were made for. This is what you were created for. Matthew 9, 36. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And they said to his disciples, or he, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You know that verse? That is the very end of chapter 9. The very next verse is chapter 10, and we usually stop reading at the end of chapter 9 because that's kind of how we think, like Greek-minded people. But if you take your pen and your Bible and you cross out chapter 10 and you continue reading the thought because it doesn't end, Therefore, pray that the Lord will send out laborers into his harvest field. The very next verse, and when he had called the 12 disciples to them, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. So Jesus has compassion on the people around him, and he says, 
hey guys, this is how I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God will send workers out into the harvest field because it is so, so needed. And the very next thing, he gives them the authority to do the very thing that they're praying for. So I would suggest to you that sometimes a lot of, really a lot of times when we're praying for things, it's not that we're asking God to step in and do something, it's that we would get our own heart right and our own mindset right so we can be ready to do what he's called us to do to begin with. So if, if you don't know what to do in a situation, you're not praying that God will change it. You are praying that your heart can get in a place where you can actually do what God has already anointed you to do both in direction, both in, uh, in ministry, both in life and work. I mean, this is, praying is not just simply saying, God, come intervene. A lot of times God is saying, these are the things I want you to pray for so that your heart can be ready to receive the very things I want to give you, to be the feet to your own prayers. Matthew 28, the Great Commission Yeshua comes and he speaks to them, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The reason that, the reason that we are making disciples, the reason that there is even a great commission, is because Yeshua is saying, Hey, I have all of the authority. So because of that very reason, then you can go. This is not about evangelizing, although I suppose it is in a, in a way. This is about extending the authority of the king Walking in the authority that he's given you from the very beginning and restoring what was broken from the beginning. So because all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and I'm now going to be dwelling in you, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. So what are you praying for? Whatever that is, ask the Lord, what, how do you want me to walk this out? Because by doing so, if your heart is really one to, to worship, the, worship the Lord and really walk in all that he's called you to, and even more so if you want the Lord to receive all of the glory that is due his name, that happens through you. Go for it. Step out. Take, take the risk. Do something. Anything. Maybe God will back you up like Samuel. So one of the things we have prepared coming up this summer, and it's one of the in, in, this is sort of how, I mean, this is a, this is a heart cry for me. I am, I'm a hands-on sort of guy. I am an all-in, rush-to-the-front kind of guy. And one of the most challenging things for me, as I've been doing, um, doing more traveling and teaching and even interviews with different people within sort of the, dare I say, the prophecy world in terms of what's coming next, is I am surprised and a little shocked at the amount of people teaching about Israel that have no clue about Israel. And I'm, I'm really embarrassed by that. Uh, so some of these guys you'll see on TV that have their timelines and are telling you about Iran and, and China and you know, on and on and on. I've had conversations with them like backstage at a TV studio 
knowing that they teach about Israel, saying, hey, where, where's, where's your favorite place to get a falafel in the old city? And they go, oh, I haven't been there in three or four years. And even then, it was on a bus. <laughs> oh. So what you're telling me is you're teaching about stuff you know absolutely nothing about. I mean, you're teaching about, like, this theology stuff up here, but as far as, like, real truth on the ground, you really have no clue. I am stunned at the amount of, amount of teachers, and that's not to say you shouldn't listen to prophecy teachers, but to me, that's, that's borderline offensive. Because if his kingdom is coming to earth, if it really is on earth as it is in heaven, I would think that you would want to get to know the land and, and, and the process and the people and the things that are going on there, and even more so, how you can be involved, how you can walk in authority that God has already given you. So one of the things that we've been designing, I say we, myself and a good friend, Michael, who runs Ezra Adventures, we've designed a curriculum called Israel, Palestine, and the Bible, where we're starting to teach sort of the on-the-ground things that are going on from a biblical perspective of how to respond. And it's, in fact, it'll be a little bit of what I'll be teaching tonight in terms of um, it, uh, it, it, it Larry's, uh, about God's heart for the Arab people. What is going on? What, what about the Palestinian thing? How do we handle that? What about the, I mean, all of these, not only is it laid out very clearly in scriptures, the answers are there. And much of what's being taught by the pro-Israel world about the Arabs are, is really wrong. And that's based on a very poor translation out of Genesis 16, when an angel shows up to Hagar and says, hey, your son is going to be fighting against everyone and everyone's going to be fighting against him and he's going to live far away from the rest of, her, of your family. And Hagar says, thank you, God, for coming to visit me. That was amazing, which makes absolutely no sense. It's probably one of the worst translations that I know of in, in Hebrew or Hebrew to English. It actually is communicating, in English, it's actually communicating something just the opposite of what God is trying to, to say. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about Palestinians. We're going to talk about all of those pieces because God really does have this amazing heart for the Arab people. And what is really unfortunate for me is that when I am in pro-Israel circles, many of them become very anti-Arab. And when I'm hanging out with my Palestinian Christian friends in Bethlehem, you know, they're, they're ready to throw Israel under the bus. And what we usually want to know is, God, whose side are you on? Because I want to support the right side and I want to be on the winning team. That's kind of how we like to think. And Joshua likes to think that as well because God tells him to go flatten Jericho and a guy shows up with a sword one evening and Joshua says, hey, are you for us or for our enemies? And you know the answer, uh, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord of hosts, I have now come. Well, isn't that funny that you're the commander of the army of the Lord of hosts? God told me to go flatten Jericho and you're not on my team? And what he's saying is that Listen, I mean, I'm, I'm above this realm. So this is something I, I teach to all my groups going to Israel. If you are a believer, if you actually read Ephesians 2 and 3, and it says that you are seated in heavenly places above the powers and principalities, if you are coming in, <clears throat> excuse me, if you are coming into the land and you're either pro-Israel or pro-Palestinian, you're looking to choose sides, you're already fallen off your place in Ephesians 2 that God wants you to be in. You are seated with him in heavenly places above the powers and principalities. We're not there to choose sides. God has a very clear and obvious plan for both Arabs and Jews, a plan for the land, and most significantly, a plan to fulfill his word and to get all of the glory that his son shed blood for. 
So if you are coming to Israel with me at any point, if you can go ahead and put that slide up, please, you will hear me talk about this on a pretty regular basis. Now, when would you ever come to Israel with me? Well, I'm glad you asked. So if you go to this website right here, tinyurl.com forward slash Ezra Adventures, myself, Stu and Millie, we are going to the land August 29th to September 13th, 14-day trip with Ezra Adventures. I will be leading it. In fact, this is one of our, uh, one of our groups. This is, um, uh, you're looking at the sunrise coming up over the Mount of Olives, and uh, off to the left is the Kotel, and uh, the city of David is down over the hill on the right. Yes, that was, that's, that's actually very insightful. That was probably about this time of year. It's probably about February. It's, uh, it's yeah, but, uh, but go ahead and just leave that up. So the, the itinerary is on that, uh, go ahead and slide that down, there you go. If um, the itinerary is on there, the price is on there, which is the land package, not counting the airfare. But it's going to be a small group. Ideally 10, maybe 12 is probably what we're looking at. And so we're going to be 14 days in the land, connecting with a lot of the believers, getting involved with the things that are going on, making a difference, dare I say, walking in authority that God has already given you to affect the people of the region, encourage our brothers that are in the land. As far as some of the other aspects, uh, I will be taking you to some of my favorite spots in terms of, uh, I'm not a big fan of, of, of buses and tourist traps. And so you won't go to those spots. So, um, so one of the, an example of that is um, one of my friends is the only guy that takes a boat out, is allowed to take a boat out on the Dead Sea. We'll be out on a boat on the Dead Sea and you'll be seeing some of the freshwater springs and getting in the freshwater springs and we'll be up to the Syrian border and um, we'll be in, uh, in, in Shiloh where the Ark of the Covenant sat for 369 years. We're going to go up to uh, to Harbracha, which is some of these, uh, these vineyards that Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos and some of these, these prophets prophesied. We'll be having lunch in some of the vineyards. We will be going to through the biblical heartland of Israel. There's a few places on there that I'm going to be checking out even before I bring you guys to, but new, new excavations, one that we're looking at, I'm hoping to work out, is Ziklag, which was uh, where King David, before being king, hung out for a little while. Brand new excavation, exactly where the Bible says, and it's just, I mean, there, there are places like this that are, it's one of the, one of the honors and sort of my, the, the joys of being in the land as often as I am. Um, even if I'm not at a place for three or four months, I come back to that same place and I go, wow, like what, what has happened since I've been gone? There are just, there is so much that is happening and so much is unfolding. And so for those 14 days, you'll have to suffer through listening to me talk to you for 14 days, and, um, and if not, you can listen to Stu or to Millie because um, they'll, be, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be in on it as well, and so we'll all be kind of tag-teaming and, and jumping in on that. But, but anyhow, August 29th to uh, September 13th, check out the itinerary that's on there. The prices are on there, and, uh, and Millie will be, will be talking more about that. So, so in terms of walking in authority and going for it. When you see a need, step in and go for it. 
you know, unless the spirit is, you know, is a check in your spirit about what, what you're doing and, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it, you have authority to make a change. So, and that was part of why, like I'd mentioned about this, uh, the Israel-Palestine and the Bible curriculum. And what we're going to be before, actually before this trip, for those of you that might be interested, it's funny, one of you mentioned uh, Aaron Schust. Aaron is a, is a friend of mine. And we are, we're doing an Israel-Palestine and the Bible summit in Portland, Maine, where Aaron will be coming in and joining us. That'll be July 17th and 18th, where it'll be uh, Schusty. He'll be, I call him Schusty. Um, Aaron will be doing a, 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 confer- um, a concert on a Friday night, and then we'll do teaching all day. He's, he's a Gentile guy who has, God has grabbed his heart for Israel, and he is like a, he is like a sponge. When, I, when he and I were talking about this back last August, and I was, we were talking about details, and, um, and he said, listen, if, if I find that you do this without me, you and I are going to have words. I said, yes, sir, man, let's do it. So anyhow, that's going to be in July. And if, if you're following any of the Ezra Adventures pages, we've just confirmed that, and that'll be something that'll be coming up. But when you see a need that you can step in and go for, walk in your authority. Last one, as we jump into to the book of Acts... There's a riot in Ephesus. There's Jewish rabbis causing more riots. Paul is preaching in Ephesus. These, uh, these idol vendors and the, uh, the, the silversmiths, they get really upset. They all go into the theater. They're screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. That's a long time to be screaming. About great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They're angry. They're upset. They're like, these guys, they're screwing up our business. Acts 19, verse 39 to 41, the town clerk steps up and says, But if you have any inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question by today's uproar, there being no reason by which we can give account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now, for for some of you that know, excuse me, in Greek, the word that's often translated as church is ecclesia. That's the primary word that is used. For church, that same word, ecclesia, is used in this passage as well. Referring to angry idol vendors who are screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. If you have any other inquiry to make, it'll be determined by a lawful Ecclesia or a lawful church. If we're in danger of calling into question of today's uproar, this being no reason we can give the account for this disorderly church. Ecclesia. So what I'm suggesting is this, much like the way that the word Elohim was used in two different ways, the word ecclesia is used very same way, meaning when you hear the word ecclesia, it's not talking about a gathering of people that love each other in the name of Yeshua. An ecclesia is people who have authority, who have ability to make change in a region. Did you hear what I just said? What the original intention of a church is to be ones with authority who come together, who make change and influence the policies in a particular region. 
If you are part of a church, if you are part of this congregation, if you are part of the body of Messiah, yes, loving each other, having oneg after, spending time, fellowship, it is all part of it. But initially, Genesis 1-1, you were called for authority. You were made for authority. That is who you are in your very core and your core and, and in your core, how you demonstrate that is that you fill things. If you are part of a body of Messiah and you are part of an ecclesia, nothing has changed. You have governing, ruling authority, according to the scriptures, to fill things. Get involved. I don't have the answer of what that is. I think the Spirit's probably jealous to tell you himself of what that means for you. But whatever that is, you're asking the Lord, God, what is it that you would have for me? And how do you want me to walk it out? Because he's ready to back you up. He is ready to get the glory when he is backing up the very things that he's placed in you from the beginning. Does that make sense? I want to encourage you. This is like I was saying from the beginning. This is sort of part of my heart. I'm, I'm definitely sort of a run to the battle kind of, kind of person. I like to be in the front. I like to be in the action. I like to get my hands dirty. I like to do stuff. And I want to be able to do that. I want to walk in authority. I want to walk in who I was intended to be. I want you to walk in who you were intended to be. There is nothing holding you back except you. Amen and amen. Thank you, Doug. I just, a couple of things. I want us to take up an offering for, um, for Doug and his ministry. Who do we write checks out to if we? Ezra. E-Z-R-A, Ezra Adventures. And, um, and I'm going to have Aaron and, and um, the other guy, Jason. <laughs> it's good. Um, pass, pass the baskets. But I just, authority, that's, that's something that God has given us that. And, and when we use it, that same outreach that I was talking about when we were in Malaysia, that was the same outreach where we went in and, and the Lord put it on our hearts to pray for a deaf man and he got his hearing. So I just, it's okay to go to God. It's okay to, to say, God, will you do this? But it's also okay to go to somebody and pray for somebody for something to happen and expect that things will happen because he's already given you the authority. That was really good about the hand and the staff. There are times, you know, and I, I was going to ask you about this whole thing of authority. You know, we do have authority. And if in doubt, that's maybe go to, you know, like if you're in a, in a foreign land and there's other gods, there's other things to worship. It's not wise necessarily to go into some place and say, you know, come down in the name of Jesus. But that's where you go to your the leaders in that place that have authority in that land and you submit yourself. You submit what God is speaking to you to that person. But I just think we have the authority to go and pray for people and see things happen. We have authority to see our families healed. Right, guys? We have authority to see these things happen. And when we start moving out, man, God's going to just, 
Sometimes we're waiting for God to do this. Waiting for, and he says, I've already told you. I've already told you. And also one more thing you talked about. This is so true. And I, his heart for Israel and, you know, living there, going there. I just, I, to go to, to Israel and to go to the nations, to go, go, go. Um, but this whole thing, if you, if you hate the Arab people, you can't really effectively love Israel. And if you love Israel to the to the um, and hate the Palestinians, you're not really loving Israel. And God is doing some incredible things in the land of Israel. He knows a lot of the people we know, and you're going to be being introduced to them there. And and it's just it's just there's a political spirit. I don't know what you, there's a proper name for it, but a political spirit. My side, and we see it in operation here in the states. My side, their side. And pretty soon it's like no side is talking to anybody and we're missing what God is wanting to do, the big picture, because his heart is for Israel. His heart is for the Jewish people, but his heart is for reconciliation between Arab and Jew. And that is happening in the land to an incredible degree. Um, why don't you stand as we... I just want to have Lynn close us out with a, with a song and... Um, like I said, Doug's going to be with us. Um, you're going to be down there for lunch, right? Okay, with the own egg downstairs. And um, and then this evening, it's going to be really great, more informal, just kind of questions and answers and hopefully some answers and more questions. And So let's just worship him and, and just close out our service. <laughs> Ten bit coact
This trip that we're talking about in Israel is just before the fall feasts. So what a great, great time to go. The question is, uh, well, let me look at my checkbook to see what I have, to see if I can do this. Ask God. And if God says yes, then you get the strategy on how to do it. And I just really want to encourage you to, to really pray into that. If you've never been to the land or if you've been to the land 20 times, this is going to be a, this is going to be different. This is going to be connecting. This is what we love to do is connect with the people there, the living stones that I call them, and going to strategic places, not just things that happened 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, but things that are happening today, things that are coming alive today. So um, just pray about that. I want to close the service with a blessing. Yevrechicha Adonai Bishmarecha Yair Adonai Panah Elecha Vichunecha Yisra Adonai upon you and give you his shalom. I pray that the Lord would fill you and that we would fill this place with the authority that we have. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Yeshua, Father, that we would have a revelation of the authority you have already given us. Father, I pray for those hands that are raised. And Lord, that authority that's represented in that staff of Moses. Father, I thank you for the authority, Lord, and that we would walk in that authority. In Yeshua's name and in Yeshua's strength. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Wonderful time. Hallelujah. So join us downstairs for... Oneg, and, and um, there's going to be dance practice, and um, we're getting ready for the Passover already. You might think, well, that's months away. We're prepping for it, guys. So this is, so be blessed and have a great day. Shavua Tov. Be still. Know that I am God. Be still.
свой пристел. 